Welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Jason Lang, co-founder and president of Bloomboard, which is focused on helping school systems recruit, retain, and support their educators. Oh, what an awesome talk. So much to learn. And by the way, before you go, it would be so awesome if you went to my website and left a review. You know, my website's stevenmaletto.com, and uh, there's a little tab up there that says reviews. And you click on that, and you can either click on Apple or you can click on Spotify or you can click on just the other little button in that little tab and it will let you leave it right there on the website. Another way to give me some feedback is to go to the bottom right corner of your uh, of the website and you'll see a little microphone. You click on that and you can leave me a voicemail and tell me like uh, a little bit about the show and what you like or or uh, something you'd like to hear me talk more about. That would be so cool. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Don't forget to share. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Jason Lang is the co-founder and president of Bloomboard, a workforce development company with a core focus on professional advancement for K-12 educators. Prior to founding Bloomboard, Jason worked in private equity and was also a member of the New School's Venture Fund team. Jason received his BA from Yale University and a joint MA in Education MBA from Stanford University. He lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with his wife and four kids who keep him busy at swim meets and on the pickleball court. Jason, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you on the show and say hi to everyone. Thanks so much, Jim. I really appreciate to have uh, having me on here. So well, to chat. It's great to have you here. And uh, and before we get into what we're talking about today, I got to ask you: So, how good are you at pickleball? Uh, coming along, you know, it's one of those games. I'm early in my uh, my journey, but it's one of those games. I've seen my kids just love it to play, and so it's one of the things we, we love going out and sort of whacking the ball around. And it's crazy how fast it feels like everybody plays these days. It's kind of fun. You are so yeah. right. I mean, it's one of those things that snuck up on everybody. I think just a little bit. All of a sudden, everybody's playing. It's like what? Where'd that come perfect, from? Perfect COVID sport is really what I think it sort of hit. You know, nice. Very nice. So good stuff. I, uh, all right, Jason. So let's let's talk about being a co-founder of Bloomboard. I mean, what was the original inspiration for it? I mean, why would you say this is what I want to focus on? Yeah, it's sort of fascinating. So a lot of it came down to my all of my graduate level work uh, in that joint degree program was all around sort of how technology will change education for kids. Um, and I was doing a bunch of work in and around sort of the new school sort of world, trying to figure out like new school models, you know, blended learning, personalized learning was big uh, and technology hadn't really come to fruition yet. This is sort of the mid 2000s. Uh, and a lot of the big question that came up was this idea of like, we have we don't have great systems to actually train and scale really high quality instruction. And there had been folks working on school models and charter school networks trying to figure out that world. But right, fundamentally the way we've trained teachers has been the same for decades. And PD has a pretty awful connotation to it in most teacher circles because it isn't really all that helpful and doesn't actually help change practice and doesn't really help kids for the vast majority of teachers. And so that really was the genesis of this idea of like, what is it going to take? How do we use technology to actually train and scale the highest quality instruction for all kids? And we have learned a lot, I'll say, in our journey through the last now 13 years. Last Friday was our, our 13th anniversary, so kind of crazy. Congrat uh, congratulations so on that. 13 years, that's good stuff. 
fighting the fight, you know, <laughs> trying to move big systems of bureaucracy is never uh, for the faint of heart. Oh, come on, come on right? That's the, yeah, taking that on. That's a good stuff. That's like, you know, trying to move the, trying to turn on a dime the aircraft carrier or something. <laughs> That's <know>? right. <laughs> nice. Uh, in your bio, I read that Bloomboard is a workforce development company. What does that mean? Yeah, so a lot of our work, so let's go a little bit back to sort of our journey. So in the early days, a lot of what we were doing was trying to figure out how to, you know, what sort of PD worked. And it was much more about teacher training. And so we built the first Amazon marketplace for PD and we gave teachers millions of dollars of foundation funding and had hundreds of PD options and providers and courses in this Amazon marketplace where sort of we got ratings and reviews. And then we had, we, you know, actually tracked teacher observation data and student, you know, SLO data and all sorts of things to try and see what training actually can change practice and help kids. And unfortunately we realized that none of it really mattered, which is sad um, because right again, the Joyce and showers data is a bunch of research now that has pretty well validated that we don't really know how to change practice unless we actually give teachers feedback on their actual practice. And so we started doing a lot of this work and it was early in the micro-credential sort of days. Um, and ultimately a lot of this idea of portfolio-based learning started to then come really smack into this idea of right, the teacher shortage. And really our world has migrated more into what we sort of would consider now workforce development, because at the end of the day, it's about what are the on-the-job training structures that actually help develop a workforce and help build a talent pipeline that's really helpful and actually has right the shortage in mind. And how do you really start to build our ranks of paraeducators and educators, right, who are coming into the profession from out of field? And you know, the reality is, is most paras, most folks coming from out of industry, they they do not want to go back to school in the traditional way, and they just can't afford not being there, right, or not not actually taking a salary. And so a lot of our world has said, like, what would it be if you could actually start to build on the job degrees that can be done during the workday? And that that on the job degree is really about workforce development and about sort of building your talent pipeline. And that's where we obviously have a bunch of university partners and a bunch of districts that we're trying to help bridge that gap in the work. Excellent. I, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a unique time because over the last bunch of years, you know, that, that population that, that came to traditional way into education is kind of dwindled as to who started getting in, you know, going into college to say, I want to be a teacher and then going through the program. And, and that population started uh, kind of drying up just a little bit. And then on top of that, then we have like this big quit that happened across our country and, uh, oh. <laughs> and impacted just about everybody, including uh, the last place we needed it was another place to hit us in education. Uh, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on? I and mean, we have people, Retiring, retiring early, finding a new focus. I mean, some people are going on to to figure out how to, you know, do anything other than, uh, what, you know, what they originally started off doing. I mean, why, why do you think all this happened? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's a confluence of a bunch of things. It is. It is a sad time in the teaching profession. Right? I, we talked. To, I talked to a superintendent last week who said that they she lost a one of their like best special ed paras to. Arby's, right? Wow. Or two, you know, I took another one in Arizona who said that they lost one of their best folks to In-N-Out Burger. Nice. Like, it, we're losing teachers to fast food restaurants. Like, that is a sad state of affairs. And I think it, the reality is, right, COVID has made teaching harder, 
right? There's a bunch of kids in the, in the system now who just have not had a lot of the socialization, a lot of the right sort of the structures of, of just what it means to sort of interact in classrooms. And so the job is a little harder. I think the preparation systems have been, you know, haven't been great and haven't been as sort of practice-based as teachers need them. And that generally, right, there's sort of this idea that we're letting more and more teachers in in lots of alternative certification pathways without any real preparation. And we're not giving them even basic classroom management that they need to be successful. And so we've got, you know, a much more stressed out population that has, right, sort of less training and support, right, and, right, has a sort of a harder student base to sort of help meet the needs. Plus, we, you know, haven't gotten rid of any of the stuff of standardized testing and all of the, like, high stakes feeling of teaching. And so it shouldn't really be that surprising that we've got a tough situation because the job just isn't all that appealing. And if you've got teachers who, you know, now you can go work at Target and they'll buy you a bachelor's degree, and so why would you go into teaching when like being an associate at Target, like, yeah, it's not fulfilling, but it's a, certainly a lot less stressful and you're not going to have to deal with it. It's amazing. You know, it's because uh, there's a lot of, I mean, just to be a teacher alone. And if we just put aside lots of the modern requirements and stuff, one of the things that's always been there is the, you know, willingness to, to spend time to try and figure out the kids that are in your class, connect with them, develop relationships, do, oh. do, the, do the things where you're paying attention to what they like, what they don't like, so that you're you're working with them and trying to, you know, figure out how to get them to go, ooh, I kind of like this, you know, let's, let's keep going that direction or something. And, you know, that all takes time and preparation and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you throw on top of it <laughs> any number of things, like, you know, just that little thing called high-stakes testing that uh, makes you go, wow, yeah, maybe that In-N-Out Burger isn't a bad place, so. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's a sad, you know, it is unfortunate. And obviously, you know, the kids are the ones that lose. And certainly the fact that we have such a big gap now doesn't feel great in terms of like, just like what the broader outcomes are. And I think teachers, I think the data, Edweek did a big survey about the data on teachers recommending teaching as a profession to their own kids is as bad as it's ever been. And that is probably our biggest, right? at the end of the day, like if there's ever a profession that's built for Gen Z, it's teaching, right? They are, right. That generation is super, right. Altruistic and wants to be motivated by things that are passionate and help the world. And that's only gotten better as younger generations have wanted to try and take on big problems that where they feel like they can have a real impact. Teaching should own that entire generation. And instead we've made it so painful to get through all the hoops and the licensure hoops and all of the, and we haven't supported folks in the process and that they're just not, they're not willing to over the, that mission driven view of the world isn't willing to overcome the pain that we put folks through. That's you're so right. You know, one of the things that's become problematic is that within teaching, there's little focus on advancement, you know, or what, you know, I come in and at this level and, uh, you know, do I stay at that level? Is that where I, I am forever? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's all of the incentive structures are just built on a, you know, something that was two, three, four, five decades old and just hasn't changed, right? The incentives to go work in higher need districts, like the there are a couple of the analogies that people, folks use about like, imagine if teachers, right? Imagine if professional athletes got paid the way teachers did, where you said, all right, like you come in and you got like, here's your, here's your salary schedule, right? And then in two years, you'll make this and in two years, you'll make this. And there's no incentives to go to better teams or better places because like, it's just lockstep. And sure, right, we've got 
4 million teachers. We've got a lot of folks that we're trying to manage, but the incentive structures alone just don't create systems that it makes it an easy way to advance and it makes it feel like there's a lot of upward mobility. A lot of the teachers we talk to, they don't need the, they don't want to go into being a principal or an AP, right? They want just more opportunities to grow and feel like they're helping. And there are so many ways that districts can do that through mentoring programs and through sort of other things in the actual sort of school operational set in terms of new implementations and STEM labs and all sorts of things. But, you know, teaching doesn't have that feel to it. And so unless it's a really innovative district, right? Otherwise it feels like a pretty stagnant career. And especially nowadays, like that's just where, you know, the pension, I always joke, like it's not teachers, younger generations just don't care about the 30 year pension. Like that is not, that is is zero in the math and calculation of taking a job that used to be like, that's why you went into public service. The pension was going to come. People think about like, I'm going to have five careers, you know, six careers. And I, hopefully, ideally, I think we should be recruiting teachers to be, have teaching be two of those, right? Start out teaching, work in it for five, seven years, go do something else, come back in another 10 years, 20 years when you want to retire and teach again because you love building relationships with kids and it's the best place to have an impact in the world. And, you know, instead we have this like monolithic system of, you know, step in lanes that, you know, you know, in 30 years, you might get your bump step in that sort of the, the game. You got that right. I mean, it's like, you know, when I, when I started, I mean, the, it, you know, the only way of doing something different or getting a significant increase would be um, to step out of the classroom and, and get yourself on the track of administration. And, uh, and so they lost a lot of good teachers that way who, who yeah. find that. And like you mentioned, you know, many of them don't, that's not their thought. They, they, that's not why they got into it. And, um, and, and so it's a, it's an interesting aspect of it. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's funny what you said. Uh, yeah. If, I was just thinking that the NFL would have uh, um, a quarterback named Tom and Aaron, who probably a long time ago would have retired <laughs> you know, instead of dragging it out, you know? Yeah. Right. Will he retire this week or not? <laughs> or uh, will he find another team or uh, maybe this week, you know, anyway, <laughs> but uh you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, one of the difficulties throughout organizations that hire team members is that there might be an issue with retaining good people. I mean, this is something that we have. I mean, they get into the program and they don't stay as long as they might have. And, you know, why should retaining staff be front and center of, of leaders as well? So it's not just about hiring them. It's about keeping them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I think it comes down to this idea of like, the, we're in such a world where the, the talent pool is so shallow at this point, right? The retention is your number, right? Those are folks who are already in the classroom who already know the game. And so if you're not putting in place very deliberate steps to actually retain your staff, right? That's number one biggest missed opportunity because you don't have to convince anybody of anything. Those folks are already there. You really just got to try to make their life feel as good and easy and, and as fulfilling as possible, and so the retention piece, you know, again, we have these weird archaic constructs. So it's like, all right, well, you've got to go get a master's degree to stay. And that might be in the traditional, that might be 50 grand out of pocket that you got to do it. And so now there's tuition reimbursement and other ways to cover it, but it's still nights and weekends. And so now don't spend time with your own kids and your families, right? Go and sort of write a thesis and do the work that you know, I did in my master's degree program and learn about I remember I had this, my, one of my old school professors used to play these videos from the eighties from the Annenberg library that were like, 
three decades outdated. He would pause the video periodically and he would say, all right, which student is in his or her zone of proximal development? And then we, and we spent an entire class just debating ZPDs and whether or not they existed. Nice. And it was mind numbing. And I was like, how is this graduate level education? And not surprisingly, like, you know, we had a bunch of MBA joint candidates in there who were like, no, I'm, this is not okay. Like we're, this is, this is useless. This is, does not apply in a classroom if you actually have real students, but like, that's what a lot of the graduate education world is, is just like very grounded in theory and frameworks that aren't actually going to make you better as a teacher. They're never going to help me be a better teacher for my kids. And yet like that course was thousands of dollars Jeez. to take that three credits on a transcript nice. because like, that's the system we have. Right. And you know, the idea that all of a sudden districts can think about, well, if I want to retain my teachers, it's really about like, what are you doing to build a culture in your schools and in your districts to remove those barriers and get people feedback on the stuff that they want feedback on? Every teacher, every teacher I've ever met actually would want and loves feedback on the stuff that matters that's going to help them build better connections with their kids and be a better teacher, right? Because right. we know that's the, that's the gold of what keeps everybody in it. And so it's just about, right, it's not about, you know, the random conference that you sort of go away. Some of that's fun, fine, but it's not about the, the random theory and the sort of the stuff that doesn't matter in practice. It really matters, like, how can you give me better in my day-to-day -day craft? And I think we lean a lot on video, right? I, again, not to overuse the sports analogy, but like, turns out in most performance-based professions, right, like football and basketball, I, I always joke, I played mediocre college football, and even in mediocre college football, I've watched every practice I've ever played in and I've watched every game I've ever played in and I've watched every game and my, every one of my competitors has ever played in because like you learn a lot watching yourself on video and it's a great way to get feedback. And yet we just don't give teachers those tools and we don't have those expectations and yet feel scary at first. But once teachers really embrace it and feel it, they love it. And they get really right. The feedback is always like, holy cow, this is some of the most powerful learning I've done. And that's how we engage people in their craft, right? Is that's how you keep them is it's really about what are the things we can do to help teachers remove the barriers and the pain that they experience on a normal basis and just give them the feedback that they're craving to really understand how to reach their kids the best. That's so awesome what you're talking about, because, you know, one of the things that's always been part of it is, yeah, you, know, you pretty much complete your program, um, however you did it, and then uh, and then you find that job, and once you find that job, then you're kind of like, uh, um, if you have a room, because, like, for me, my first five years, <laughs> I didn't have a room. I kind of, I had a little cart, and I traveled up and yeah. down the hallways, and in a much too, my, my favorite part of that story, by the way, was that... Uh, one day I'm going upstairs and passing another guy coming downstairs in a cart. And it's like, we need to talk later. <laughs> Is there a way to do this? <laughs> yes. And we, we actually straightened it out. And so I stayed on the top floor. He stayed on the bottom floor. But, you know, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy stuff. But then that's the, you know, as far as, uh, you know, in, incentives or anything like this, what's funny is that I'm pretty sure there were people in that building because it was a large enough high school that, uh, they never really knew that I was even there until, you know, we had like a luncheon or something and people go, Hey, I don't know you. Who are you? <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, what's, what's funny. I heard someone talking recently about how, you know, it's it, incentives and, and retaining people in school 
is is a different type of support, and it goes way beyond saying, you know what, you can wear jeans this Friday, and you're like, wee, you know, it's, that that type of stuff only goes so far, and uh, you know the the idea that uh, you know maybe you have a uh, for this this week, you you won't have to do your bus duty or something, and you know it, yeah, it only goes so far, and and uh, you know because some of the teachers, the ones who really get a kick out of talking with the kids and stuff, they actually like the duties because they're talking to you know as long as they're not like stuck in the bathroom or something like this, they're yeah you know they're enjoying because they get to talk with the kids while they're yeah. supervising things, and you know it, it's it's just an interesting world because you know it as long as I think for the longest time, people have been trying to solve some of these problems and not really been able to figure out how to, <laughs> how, to how to do it with an education. Yeah, it's interesting in the, I mean, again, you're dealing with government, right? Which is always, it's always a ding in your, you know, against yes. you. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, if we look at where the corporate world's been, which I think there's a ton to learn from the corporate world in terms of like just the HR talent right, development systems, but even just like the, the research around, right, motivation itself, right? So Daniel, every superintendent I've ever sort of talked to is interested in like the Daniel Pink's book called Drive is the best possible book about like motivation. And the whole idea is that they've done a ton of research in corporate America about what motivates people to be really good in their jobs, right? And it turns out it's not money. It is right, all around this idea of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And yet when you look at a teacher's life in the mainstream, like the median teacher in the world, right? So they got a ton of purpose, right? Because they feel like, again, we, we own that, right? We are educators. We get to do that in spades. Autonomy, well, now, like if you're in a school that's like, here's your curriculum, good luck, read it, and I'll be in to check and see what page you're on. Now I feel that feels pretty hollowing in terms of like what it means, and then mastery, right? If you don't give teachers the ability to actually grow and say like, or give them feedback to let them feel like they know even where they're going to grow to, right? Then it's not clear how you become a master teacher because it, right? You don't know what's going on. You don't know what the next level looks like. And so it's really trying to figure out, you know, in the what are the things in education that we can do to make the teaching role more autonomous and give teachers more control over the stuff that really matters to reach their kids, Right. And that's not kids in rows in perfect form. Right. Sort of hand out papers. Right. A bunch of the best classrooms you see are much more sort of chaotic environments where teachers are giving their students their own autonomy and they're helping them manage that. And then on the mastery side, it's just sort of elevating. Like, what does great instruction look like? Again, video is pretty helpful for that. But there's a bunch of ways to actually talk about and elevate what great mastery of instruction means and what it looks like and how to achieve that and do all of that during the day job. And if you can achieve those things, I will bet that right, you, you're not going to have a teacher shortage problem right, in those scenarios, in those districts, because those teachers are getting really fulfilled by the fact that they've got all of this purpose and that they can channel it in ways that they want to do it on their own sort of autonomy and that they know where they're going to. Uh, I love that. It's, uh, you know, there's so much, there's so much there and it's, it's in some places it's so lacking because just that simple thing about autonomy in some places, like, like you said, it's like, there oh. is none. I mean, it's zero. <laughs> it's, literally, it's like, no, no, no. You're, why, why are, it's, it's, it's already, it's, it's one fifteen. You should be on the next page. You're like <laughs> this, 
Exactly. Whereas, you know, I, I had the good fortune that I worked for a couple of uh, mentors who um, they, they created a, the right type of school environment where you did have that type of autonomy. And matter of fact, um, I think sometimes we scared them just a little bit because uh, um, they're like, what are you guys doing this week? You know, and <laughs> but that was the coolest thing. I, I couldn't have worked other places where they were like, you know, yeah, be on page 12 tomorrow and 13 the next day. Who cares about the, you know, if they can't keep up, Tough. Move on. You know. Well, and, it's, and then you look at where this the rest of the world's going. I mean, all the chat GPT, right? The funniness of like, <laughs> you know, students are just getting more and more autonomous, and it's part of this disconnect we have around kids being engaged in school. Is because school itself removes a lot of autonomy, and it turns out like the tools outside of school allow them to accelerate in ways that are far beyond what we actually let them ever do. And so it's constantly this sort of you know you're trying to sort of build kids up who need more support while you're not sort of holding kids down who sort of want to run ahead. And that's a really hard balance, but like the school structure just isn't really built well for it. And certainly that structure doesn't lend itself to an empowered educator who feels like, you know, he or she can really help kids in the best way possible. Oh, you got that right. And uh, you know, that, that if something has ever created such a fuss, uh, that little AI thing going on right now. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, it's, it's gonna, so fun. The world's coming to an end. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? And you know, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, when I was a kid, not, not too very long ago, there was electricity and, you know, there was, there was this thing called a TI 35 that some teachers thought were going to bring the end of the world. Oh. Never, never would we ever have a calculator right at our, our hands that we could ever use, you know, to, and uh, therefore I'm going to make it. So you can't use this on the test either. And uh, you know, now people have them <laughs> you got <Yeah>. it everywhere, <laughs> but uh, I just thought that was funny, you know, and then, you know, in the sixties, there was uh, a lot of books in the early sixties written about how the computer's going to take over the, the world and do away with our jobs. They made all these movies about the, the computer's going to take over. My, my all-time favorite one was Stanley Kubrick's version of uh, where you had Hal and Dave in the, in the spacecraft, and Hal decides yeah. that he's had enough of Dave. And <laughs> uh, uh, Hopefully we don't get there, but we got a little scary stuff going on out there with robots that can climb <laughs> and jump and uh, run. and Do and, a backflip uh, for you. you yes, know. exactly. Throw, so, you some, throw you some tools. Let's, let's, right. uh, yeah, let's, let's stay away from Skynet. But um, and anyway, good stuff. You know, all kinds of stuff going on. So I, with all this going on, talking about retaining and, uh, and looking at what teachers are out there and all that, what, let's talk about Bloomboard. I mean, how does it fit in? How does it seek to help deal with this situation? Yeah, I love it. So, so really, at the end of the day, I think what we know is that given the systems and the, you know, the policy and the bureaucracy that we have in place, right, higher ed has to be part of the actual solution, and right now, one of the big barriers in the higher ed structure is there just aren't great ways for higher ed institutions to deliver entirely on the job classroom-based courses, right? And so you've got a population of either paras who don't yet have bachelor's degrees or even practicing teachers who would love to go get master's degrees, but they don't want to go back to nights and weekends courses in schools in the traditional way. And there's not enough motivation to go do it. And so we're just, we've locked those folks effectively out of advancement systems and therefore they become flight risks, right? Or they just don't become teachers. And the problem is, and so what, what we've realized there is to say, okay, well, how could we partner with higher ed institutions? And really it's innovative leaders in higher ed, right? Provosts and presidents and deans of schools of education 
how can we partner with them and really help build a set of almost like learning management tools, right? And sort of curriculum support tools to help build and reimagine the degree in an entirely on the job format. And so using videos, using lesson plans, using student work, that all of which comes from the actual classroom practice. And what would it mean to sort of reconstitute that batch, you know, the bachelors in education into an entirely job embedded portfolio centric approach. And so we have a bunch of university partners we've been working with to help build and help redefine that version of their degree so that their faculty can really become right immersed in their actual craft of their candidates. And then we package up those degrees and then we work with school districts at the district and at the local level to say, okay, well now, if the burden of the degree means it sort of needs to look like a residency program and it's gonna look like a two-year student teaching experience of sorts, what is the support that a school building actually needs to embed that degree entirely into the job of that paraeducator or of that teacher. And that, that's really what our team does is sort of, we both partner on the higher ed side to help really sort of you know reconstitute that degree structure. And then we partner on the district level side to say, okay, how do we get that really pushed into the fabric of the district so that, you know, imagine you now have a para who's working still full-time paycheck to paycheck, and they're trying to earn 60 credits towards a bachelor's degree, well, how do we get that para an hour a day in some sort of release model where you might have another para who's working on the same sort of program or working on their associate's degree who can provide some release time and get that hour a day? And now during that hour a day, right, there's a way for that para to be working on their actual classroom practice, on their actual instruction, and using that instruction, using those videos, using their artifacts to actually articulate all 60 credits of that bachelor's degree. And that's really the idea is we're trying to sort of help bridge this really interesting gap from, right, sort of a higher ed, the way higher ed has traditionally worked, and then ultimately push it all the way into the way districts think about workforce and think about teacher training to really make it a much faster, easier system that's ultimately much more rigorous and supportive of teachers getting the prep they need to be great teachers. I love it. The, uh, the, so uh, while we're on that uh in that direction, I mean, who's your who's Bloomboard's real target audience? What are, what are you shooting for here? Uh, most of our work, so so we're we don't need you know for better or worse, reciprocity is an interesting construct across the country, and we don't need even fifty university partners. And so I think our lens is you know at the end of the day, we'll have thirty really high quality, right? Twenty super high quality tier, you know, university partners that are really trying to push the envelope and be innovative. And that with that portfolio of university partners, we can then serve almost all 50 states. And then really our target becomes the district superintendent, right? Or the HR director or the director of talent acquisition, who's trying to figure out what am I going to do over the next three, four years, given my current teacher pipeline. And a lot of what we start with in the district conversations is like actually doing a bit of a strategic planning exercise around pipeline. It says, yeah, you know, districts aren't changed, even HR folks just are never trained on how to think about talent pipelines, right? There's not a, that's not in the, the HR, you know, sort of schema we have for preparing HR leaders. And so what we're realizing is that most of the world right now is still faced very backwards looking at like, how do I get, fill a hole I have today? And yet we know if I, if you tell us how many vacancies you have today or how many vacancies you've filled so far this school year, 
you can sort of predict based on retirement, based on current attrition rates, based on, you know, the lack of enrollment in EPPs today, how many openings you're going to need to fill next year and the following year. And, you know, the reality of what we live in is there are no short programs, right? There's no way to get a fast bachelor's degree. And so even in ours that are two-year programs, right, the idea is, well, I need to be able to sort of think three years ahead. And so I need to add up all of the vacancies I'm going to have next year and the following year to really start to see what hole do I need to fill if I want to solve my shortage problem. And so we're doing a lot of that work in terms of some of just a more consultative side of the work of what we do is we say, like, let us help you go through that math and look at those numbers. And then we'll start building the pipeline and start trying to figure out, you know, the reality is we don't really have a shortage from a bodies standpoint in the country. We have a shortage from a bureaucracy standpoint, but there are, you know, a million plus paras in the country, half, 50, 60% of which have said that they would like to be fully certified teachers. And then we've got, you know, the number one, I think the most recent data I saw was in Stanford did a uh, research report said new gen- the new, new generations of teachers, teachers within, you know, five years of being out of college, you know, vast majority, it's like 60% of those teachers live within in work within 15 miles of where they went to high school. Well, that's a pretty interesting population to tap into. And so if we could build much more community-based on-the-job degrees, we could actually solve the shortage outright because, again, like, especially the younger generation wants to have a really fulfilling career and they don't necessarily care about making tons and tons and tons of money right? They know what they're signing up for. And so if they can make a good living wage and do great work that helps impact society, that's a great career. And that's really what we've got to design the systems for is how do we help those folks who right now are locked out of the system? How do we get them degrees? How do we get them in it? Yeah, that's so powerful because that's, you know, that is something that, uh, you know, it, it takes time to get the program and then it takes time once you uh you know get into the the classroom and so forth as you start learning what you don't know and uh um, (laughs) all the things you don't know (laughs) exactly because it's it literally is no matter i don't care how well you're prepared it's trial by fire in the beginning and uh and unfortunately the you know the world is such that within education that a lot it lends itself to the closed door you know your colleagues you know it's a it's a it's hallway <laughs> you're on this little island the hallway's got all these closed doors on it and they're all uh, um you know you might see each other when it's time to go to lunch or something but uh and then then it's just hey how you doing oh good how you doing yeah nice to see you again yeah. and and it's uh it, it's something else when you're in that world and it, it's it's cool what you're saying because like you know hr people i thought you you know, one of the things that you said just a minute ago, it's very powerful that they may have limited training, if any, about creating a pipeline or monitoring pipelines or trying to, you know, how do, how do we do this and, and build a pipeline? I, I think that's an incredible aspect of that, too. Uh, you know, my all-time favorite as a way back when I was trying to get my first teaching job, I was in the Army then, and I, was, I had to get furloughs to come off of uh, training um, out of Fort Gordon, Georgia. And... Uh, and that was a that was a trip because uh, um, I was expecting to I was applying for jobs and stuff like this, and uh, I told my commander, and he said, "Not a problem." He said, "If I hear from your girlfriend, uh, I'll uh, I'll let her know." Because we were going into the woods uh, for several days, and uh, uh, wouldn't you know it? That's when they called, <laughs> and so we come out of the woods, and he says, uh, "We've been there for several days," and he says, uh, "Hey, uh, uh, LT, I got you." Uh, 
uh, I told your girlfriend, go ahead and set up the appointment. Uh, you got an interview coming up. And I said, that's awesome. And he said, uh, it's, t- it's tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and, you know, and it, it, the funny thing was, is it was with, it was with an HR person. So I had to drive uh, a bunch of hours to get there and, and get my stuff out of the, you know, cause now it's, I got to wear civilian stuff. And, uh, right. and, uh, the last time I had thought about some of these people, they decided the HR guy asked me about, you know, it's like, yeah, can we talk about escape and evasion or how about, uh, you know, the, the signal uh, footprint going across the, the, you know, what this, that, Amazing. or the other. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was a trip. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, it's, you could always say I didn't fit for some of the, the position or whatever, which is true, by the way. But uh, he, he was really looking for a, a middle school cheerleading sponsor, which came at the very end of the interview, by the way. He, he said, oh, what, do you, what do you think about coaching cheerleaders? And I'm like, what? I, I, and I look like a soldier that I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But didn't say that really to him. I said, all. whatever I said to him didn't get me the job. So, <laughs> But uh, there's things like that that happen. And so... You know, and and I think about that in terms of I tell that story because of the the pipeline thing you just said. I mean, because literally, what ends up happening to me is I go back out into the world. It's like sending the you know, um, just kick them back out there, and uh, maybe we'll meet again or something like this. Because in those days, I guess they could choose wherever they wanted to. But uh, um, well, it's even I mean, it's a funny time because we you know we sit in these weird in these workforce meetings with you know employers who are dealing with their own talent shortage, and one of the funniest conversations I was having was, you know, people don't really realize that we're in the education world and sort of working in the, in the teaching world with districts. And so I was, we have having this conversation with an employer who was like, oh yeah, like our best source of candidates are former teachers. Wow. Cause generally like they like are pretty unhappy in their current jobs, but they're super detail oriented. They know how to like wake up early, show up on time, like work really hard. And they're like model employees and right, unfortunately, like this is sort of what corporate America is realizing is like we have a stock of, you know, a large number of teachers that are, you know, because it's a rough time and their corporate world's happy to go after them because they know that they're really good employees. Wow. And it's going to be a great place to sort of mine talent from because they're dealing with their own shortages. Wow. That's right. Nice. So not only do we have these other problems, we also got to worry about uh, being robbed yeah. by the, the corporate world going, hey, yeah, we're, right. we got our own supply chain. Forget you guys. You, we're going to steal from you. I like that. Yeah. Uh, it, all right. So tell me what uh, what does a school system do to try and uh, you know start working with uh, Bloom Board? I mean, what what's it take to do that? Yeah, I mean, again, we, we know, you know, I think 90 plus percent of our team are actually from school districts. So even a bunch of our engineers are former teachers. So it's been... You know, interesting to try to sort of build the most possible sort of plug and play, easiest sort of way to engage. And so we have a bunch of different ways to sort of jump in and start small. Again, we know, right, this is sort of big culture changey stuff, but we also know how to make it pretty streamlined in terms of what are the things you're going to need to communicate to your board, right? What are the ways that you can actually right, really start to think about how to manage the actual sort of process? And we're even trying to get you know, in our current sort of world, we're trying to get into a way where we can start to take even a lot of the headache out of Pell funding and federal grants and apprenticeship funding, take on all of the risk of those funds. And we just make degrees basically sort of a plug and play flat rate cost for the districts. And that's ultimately what I think it will help continue to, you know, sort of expand the work is how do we make this as easy as possible? So when a district reaches out and says, I've got, you know, 
20 vacancies or five vacancies, or I think next year I'm going to have to plan for 10 vacancies. You know, we have a pretty easy way to say, great, here's how we help you recruit your, you know, candidates and sort of share out what we're doing and what degree programs we have with your candidates. Here's what that looks like. Here's how we bring them in. We plug them into the registrar's office. Here's how we support the integration into the site level. And that we take on a lot of that logistics because frankly, we know districts just don't have a ton of internal capacity to manage the work. And you know, I always joke, we're, we're sort of the, you know, the last resort when it comes to capacity. And therefore, like, if we've got to take that on, we will, because that's what's going to take to really sort of help again, not only create a better pipeline for teachers, but just create a better pipeline of better quality teachers. Yes. That's so awesome because what a what a great service right there. The, you know, um, all right. So Jason, we're getting we're getting close to finishing up here, and I, I got I can't thank you enough for talking with me. And but great. But I want to ask you. Uh, so let's let's do a a uh, you know what if this was the situation. Um, so if you had a chance to talk with an audience of school district leaders about addressing teacher retention and recruitment, you're at a you're the closing keynote for the day, and uh, you want to make sure that they hear one message. Uh, what would you want them to remember from your talk? Uh, I mean, I think it would come back to this idea of like, we're in a world now where like, we have to solve the shortage and we have to sort of take a very big stance in terms of actually investing and advancing our teachers. Uh, and that is not just a, right, sort of the, you know, sort of investing sort of time, but really investing dollars, right? And investing energy in very deliberately building advancement pathways and trying to give teachers a reason to stay and give teachers a better on-ramp into the profession and give teachers a ton more feedback and support in the work that they're doing. And I think we, we are going to get to a world here, you know, I would bet in five to 10 years where all degrees forever going forward are going to be funded by not by teachers themselves. And that that's where, you know, the system has to move. That's where corporate America is moving. And so it's a question of, you know, how well we're going to compete against corporate America that's right now already winning that war. But the reality is right, we have to invest in teachers and we have to really make and understand that if we want the best outcomes for kids, you have to start with the teachers. And therefore, right, that's got to change how we actually manage HR, how we manage talent, and how we really support and advance and really inspire teachers going forward. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. I, I you know, um, Jason, if you, uh, if someone wanted to connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them? Uh, yeah, just so bloomboard.com. Uh, my email is just jason at bloomboard. Uh, it's pretty easy. So uh, we're always happy to chat and always uh, always interested in having new partners and new uh, new folks to talk with. Excellent. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes so it's easy for them to go pop into with their mobile and so forth like that. Uh, I got two questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one is this. Um, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Uh, <laughs> well, given, given the 13th anniversary uh, as mentioned last Friday, it's been interesting to sort of reflect back on the the highs and lows of startup joy and frustration. Um, I mean, I think for me personally, and I'll, I'll make it back to my own kids, like my my wife, my four kids is a level of chaos and pandemonium that anybody that knows us is sort of is, is sort of laughable. Um, but I, it is why I do everything I did. I, you know, we didn't, I, I worked in finance and found that to be about as soul crushing and sort of unfulfilling as anything I could have ever imagined. Oof. And so now every single day we, I do more work and more good than, you know, I used to in probably a year back then. And then I get to walk out when I leave my office here and I get to walk out that door and I have, you know, all four of my kids, which is why I do what we do. 
um, why I love it so much, right? It's trying to help create a better future for the generation that matters most, which is the one that's coming next. Love it. Awesome. 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 Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Uh, yeah, Miss Dowdy was my uh, English teacher in high school, which was, you know, my my high school experience was sort of all over the place. And that like, we did not have certainly when I went to Yale, I learned it, that, about what a level of rigor looked like relative to uh, all of my classmates and the work that they were doing. And we just didn't I just don't feel like we had, we just did not have that. And yet she was the first teacher I really remember having that not only had a really high rigor bar in terms of like what her expectations were, but she was incredibly interested and compassionate and willing to sort of engage at an individual level. And just was one of the first times I ever felt like, you know, I, this was what it means to be treated like an adult. And it was obviously a pretty formative time in high school and trying to figure it all out. But she was by far my most inspiring teacher I've ever had. I, I've, you know, thank her many times for it. And, and she's amazing. Uh, and she's now retired, but hopefully having a, an amazing, you know, time on the beach uh, with her husband. But uh, she missed out. He's absolutely my, my favorite. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing. That's, that's so cool. It's, it's neat when we have somebody like that in our past that uh, d makes a difference. You're set you on a path, right? It's an interesting world. It really is that it is. Uh, well, well, Jason, thanks so much for talking with me about Bloomboard. It's an amazing tool. It has an awesome focus and I appreciate what you're doing and uh, wishing the best in all you do. Thanks so much. Jim. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome. <laughs>